I felt like all of that Finland conversation was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was possibly our best show today. <laughs> Do a mini episode about Finland. Can you keep that and as you, like the post show? And you could even put the please, Finland song. Please. You could put the Finland song from how much is fair use? Seven notes. Darn. So seven notes of their national anthem. Is that what you're getting at? Well, national anthems are probably public domain. No, I meant the uh, Finland song from Money Pi- from Spain a lot. Oh, the one about Nokia. I don't know if they mentioned Nokia. <laughs> that was a joke. Since it is set in the Middle Ages, <laughs> <laughs> they also have hand grenades. So, so maybe they have a holy Nokia. I believe so. I I think that's the plot of the musical that I've never seen. Oh wow! Look, the show is starting. Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Dustin. And I'm Matthew. What have we got for follow-up today? I don't know if we have anything that's follow-up per se. Oh. I do have a question for you, Trevor. What's that? Uh, so I went to the grocery store recently to buy coffee because I was out, or close to being out. And I noticed that there was some coffee that was marketed as f- being for French press because it was coarsely ground. And I have a French press at home, but I've not used it very much because A, I don't have a coffee grinder, and B, any coffee that I have purchased at the store that's already ground is generally too fine for the French press. So I bought this thinking, hey, I'll get to try out the French press and see if I actually like it. And I'm finding that it's difficult to get the proper um, balance of coffee grounds and water and um, also it is reminding me of drinking coffee in Costa Rica, where you don't drink the bottom of the, the cup because there's little tiny sediment in the cup. And yeah. So I just was wondering if you have any experience with French press, any advice on brewing a good cup of coffee using that, and I guess the general appeal of French press. I've actually never used a French press, so I don't know if I have much to contribute. <laughs> um I'm sure there are coffee people out there, coffee like snobs, I'll say, out there that are, I know, okay, the reason I say that is I've heard from someone before, uh, it was at a rehearsal and someone had brewed a pot of coffee for everyone because, you know, we'd been pulling late, late, late nights and this person said, I can't drink that. I've got a French press at home and I can only drink French press now. I was like, someone made you coffee and you're going to be a snob and refuse it. And so I'm sure that there are people out there with the same attitude. Get down, Juno. She wants to join the podcast. Um, Yeah. Which brings me to a whole another topic of gatekeepers and geek culture that I don't know if we should 
get into, but sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? Did you? Well, you said I've never actually used a French press, so I don't know if I have any much to contribute, but I figured there was something else. Oh yeah. I was just saying that I wasn't sure if I had anything to say. Um, well, I think the quality of the beans matters a lot more than the method that you use to make them. As far as like the quality of a cup of coffee, you mean? Right. Um, I mean, you could use a French press and still make terrible coffee because you're using bad beans. I can confirm that you can use a French press and make a terrible cup of coffee. (laughs) Because of the cup that you, you were asking about? The first time I, I used it recently, it was not enough coffee grounds. It was pretty weak coffee. Okay. I mean, did you look up like recommended uh, ratios or anything? Yeah, I followed the recommendations on the bag, and it was not to my taste. Okay. I don't really trust information on bags for coffee or tea. Um, I use an AeroPress, and I always use 14 or 15 grams of coffee, and I fill up to the two on the AeroPress because uh, they're like little numbers on the side. Mm-hmm. And then I make like a an Americano by doubling the water after I've brewed it. So I'm not, I've not actually used a French press. Um, I'm sure the ratios and timing and everything do matter a lot. Um, I'm surprised that you're ending up with that much grounds in the thing afterwards. Yeah, I am too. But again, I'm not un familiar with coffee having very fine ground in it. Um, it, uh, recently one of my professors gave me some tea and he is from China and the, the tea is kind of in a compressed pod of leaves. So it's essentially once you let it steep, the leaves are loose it's not in a bag. It's just like packed together really tightly. And uh, so you drop it in, you let it steep, the the leaves are loose. And then I asked him, do you strain the leaves out? And he said, oh, I forgot that Americans don't like stuff in their drink. And he said, no, you just sip it. And so you don't get the leaves in your mouth. And so I'm wondering if it's a similar situation. Like in Costa Rica, the coffee... I think you just put the the grounds in the pot. I'm not entirely sure on that because they use different coffee makers than what we have here. And I never actually brewed the coffee, but based on the coffee that I got, (laughs) you, you definitely didn't. I made the mistake one time of drinking the last drop of coffee and it was pretty sludgy. Um, so from that point on, I, I knew not to, to finish the cup. And so I'm just wondering if it's a difference in cultural expectations of coffee. Is Costa Rican coffee like Turkish coffee? When I say pretty sludgy, I mean that there was just a lot of sediment. So actually, I don't know. I've never had Turkish coffee. What is that like? Um, just a lot of sediment. <laughs> My impression is that it's just really um, strong. Um, it... I'm not sure how to describe it. It's not strong would be one way of describing it. It's just made very differently. Um, it's usually made in like sort of a tall silvery pot kind of thing and then poured into tiny cups. 
Yeah, I've seen the tiny cups. I've just never had opportunity to drink from the tiny cups. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know if anybody makes it right because it's supposed to be like this intricate thing involving setting the pot in sand and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So what the method I've been using to combat the sediment is just letting my coffee sit for a while before I start drinking it. Hmm. So I See, I would worry about sediment or leaves for tea being left in the cup that's meant for the drinker because it seems like the flavor is going to get over extracted and it's going to end up bitter. And I don't like that. Yeah. I haven't had that, especially with the cups that I've had so far. And that was not my experience in Costa Rica, but I can understand that concern. But again, that's, I think I'm wondering if it's just a different cultural expectation for your drinks, because obviously the, my professor didn't wasn't concerned about the leaves staying in the in the the tea. That's just how it's done. What kind of tea was it? Was it black tea? I don't know. It was a black tea, but I don't know. Okay, I can't read Mandarin. Okay, because <laughs> like uh, a rooibos tea, for instance, rooibos tea continues to get sweeter the longer the leaves sit in the water. But with black tea, it's going to get more and more bitter. So. It's not even about the substance to me. It's just the fact that the flavor is going to continue to change. Because I, I want to take the... Even if I liked it more bitter, I would leave the leaves in longer and then take the leaves out at the correct amount of bitterness. Right. But cultural tastes... I mean, taste varies culture to culture as well. Right. Taste preferences, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. For instance, in Costa Rica, I didn't meet a single person that took their coffee black as in without cream or sugar. Like it was always understood that you had sugar in your coffee. The question then was just, do you want milk or not? <laughs> and that's just a, a cultural difference. And I think it's fair to point out that in a country of 1.3 billion people, there are probably going to be some differing opinions on the best way to consume a cup of tea. Right. Especially considering that there's so much differing opinion in just among the people I know. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would agree that astringency is a big problem if you left leaves in there. And like when I, uh, I don't know, I guess traditional, like with tea serving to people that are coming over in China, you're still doing like you have the leaves in a pot and you're pouring out from that pot repeatedly using the leaves or multiple times. But I mean, that's different from if you're going to, make yourself a cup of tea. So that's the good kind of different scenarios. Yeah. I also have less refined taste than you do, Trevor. So I'm not as concerned with those things. Uh, I wouldn't say my taste is refined. Your tastes are more refined than not mine. Okay. I feel like that's I. another way I could say it is picky. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's see, that's more negative than what I was really trying to express. Okay. That's why I said refined. Does that make sense? Uh, sure. I don't, I don't put that much work into making coffee. Okay. I'm, I don't really feel like I put that much work into any given cup, but I did put a lot of work into figuring out what my system was going to be for it. Yeah. So that's how I ended up with the AeroPress and coffee grinder and kettle that I have. And scale. Don't forget the scale. 
And scale, yeah. The scale is important too. The virtue of a good system, once you've got it down, is that it's going to feel like you're not doing that much work. Right. And people will ask, how can you take that much time to make a cup of coffee? But it takes like a minute. I guess if I include like getting everything in place, like a minute and a half, maybe. You only let it brew for a minute? Yep. I don't know. You call it brewing or steeping? Uh, Coffee brewing, yeah. tea steeping. Well, I know that the the process it's undergoing in an aeropress is more like the process of of steeping tea. Um, it, it's actually a little bit more like espresso. Oh, really? It's under pressure. Okay. Yeah. So the way the aeropress works, it's like a sort of a little self contained plunger thing, and you the way that I do it is called the inverted method because the the instructions that come on the box don't have you flip it over and that didn't work at all for me, but you flip it upside down, put in 14 grams of coffee ground, pour in the water up to the two mark, take the stirrer and stir it for like 10 seconds and then wait another 50 seconds and then press it into a teacup. Um, when I start to hear air coming through, I stop because that means that it's starting to push out the last bitter part of the coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I go over to the sink, finish pressing it out into the sink, go over to the trash can, take off the filter, press the resulting hockey puck into the trash can, go back to the sink, rinse it off and set it to the side. And then, um, put the same amount of water in. If I just fill up the, well, depending on the size of the cup, it's not always fill up the cup, but I put in, um, the same amount again of just plain water to make it kind of like an Americano. Mm -hmm. So it is pressurized at the point where you're like pushing the plunger down because it's sealed in there and being pushed through the filter. Mm -hmm. So then a French press is more like steeping tea. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I guess there, I mean the minute before I push is kind of like, it's just sitting there yeah. brewing or steeping. Um, but then the the pressure at the end extracts a lot more of the flavor. Yeah. Yeah, with the French press, I let it sit for five minutes or so. Yeah, if I let the AeroPress sit for two minutes or more, like by accident, it tastes like garbage. Hmm. It might not if I wasn't putting it through all that pressure afterwards. But um, like if it's like a minute and a half, I can deal with it. But there have been times where I've gotten distracted or got a call or something and let it sit for more than two minutes and it's just horrible yeah so changing topics i have a bit of follow-up that's related to two of our previous episodes well i guess three of our previous episodes um the board game episode and the dinosaur episodes jorma celebrated his third birthday recently and one of the gifts that he received was a board game called dinosaur escape and it's for children it's by the company peaceable kingdom but it is a cooperative game and that's kind of a first i've not seen a cooperative game for kids until now and so i was intrigued by that but what you're trying to do is uh, go around the board and find a brachiosaurus a stegosaurus and a triceratops that are hidden in the different habitats before a volcano erupts 
and you're trying to rescue them and get them to an island, and it's pretty fun. I'm always sad when the volcano kills any of the dinosaurs. That would be sad. Yeah. This sounds like a good game. Yeah. Check it out. Next time you guys are over, we can play it. What is the player playing as? Any of those three dinosaurs. Okay. So there are cardboard tokens that you put face down around the board, and you've got three miniature dinosaurs that you're moving, and you can... Each player can move any one of those dinosaurs. It's, you're not stuck using one. Uh, but you roll a dice, or a die, I guess, and move around the board. And if you land in the habitat, habitat you can flip it over, flip a, a token over. And if it's the matching dinosaur, or if, that, if it's a dinosaur and that dinosaur is in that habitat, they get to go to the... Uh, to the island and be rescued if but there's only three tokens that have a dinosaur well four one of them is a tyrannosaurus rex um it so it's kind of a a memory game as well because you have to remember which tokens you flipped over and what they were um because you might be in a habitat and flip over the token and you're you're moving the brachiosaurus but you find the stegosaurus but the stegosaurus is all the way across the board You've got to get the stegosaurus over there and flip over the stegosaurus token to uh, rescue it. Okay. Sounds kind of like a really low-key version of Pandemic in a way. I don't know what Loki has to do with it, but yeah. (laughs) I saw that coming. So I would recommend that for anyone with kids. Okay. Or Or for me. A love of dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) On the dinosaur note, there are also dinosaur emoji coming woo yay (laughs) matthew why are you not excited i am excited i said yay you are oh okay (laughs) this is what i'm like when i'm excited (laughs) there is one thing that i'm not particularly excited about that i thought matthew was thinking of when he said yay so unenthusiastically the drawings of the dinosaur that they're using for the emojis i don't really like very much they remind me most of the art style from the good dinosaur except somehow even worse so that's kind of a disappointment but that stuff changes over time so maybe they'll be good after a while but they're adding a long neck and a (laughs) t-rex really you're gonna say a long neck i i don't this thing is not identifiable as any known species it has like a massive forehead no you say sauropod anyway i view it as Poorly drawn dinosaurs are much better than no dinosaurs at all. Yes. It's a step. A step in the right direction. Yes. One giant leap for emoji kind. One small step for dinosaurs, one giant leap for emoji kind? Yeah, Yeah, I like it. Matthew, you recently purchased a new video game. Yes. And Trevor and I are both interested in eventually playing that video game. What are your initial impressions of it? The video game being Mass Effect Andromeda, it's good. I, I don't want to, I'm afraid of like stumbling onto spoilers. So you would say it's worth purchasing? It's definitely worth purchasing. If, how did both of you feel about the first Mass, oh, out of the Mass Effect games that you've played, which I think you've both played one and two. Yes. 
Which did you like better? I preferred one by quite a margin. I would also say one. I liked some things about two better, but... This feels more like one. Okay. Oh, okay. It feels more like one, but with the benefits of like improvements to combat system you know i don't know how to say that um like the cover system and stuff yeah and i'm feeling i like that they open up the play style and really you can pick you can custom make however you want to do your uh power sets like it's not you have this class and you're stuck with these powers you can do whatever you want which it's a nice freedom because i've always there have been certain abilities I always wanted to combine that I could not do. Nice. More like Skyrim, less like D&D. Yeah. And I think you can even, if you, I, there's a character respec thing that I haven't played around with, but I don't think it's very expensive to undo all of your points once you've acquired them and put them into spaces. And you could switch between, like they still have the profiles of the old classes in there, uh, but you could switch between those really quickly and easily. Like, once you've unlocked it, you can switch between it. Are they there just kind of as templates to guide you if you want? It's hard. They're bonuses now. So if okay. I put on Infiltrator, I get a different movement method. Um, I can shoot through walls, things like that. And there's some bonuses. And then if I switch to Vanguard, the bonuses change and the movement method changes. I am happy to report that <laughs> the there's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades thing that they put in called Explorer that has a biotic blink, which is very satisfying and helps heal the wounds of Destiny. It hasn't been nerfed yet. And I don't think it will be. It's very <laughs> nice. And it can phase through object, solid objects, which is nice, too. Nice. Um, I have two specific questions that I don't need long answers on, but I'd heard a couple specific criticisms. One came before the game was even released and it was saying that the animations and the characters seemed really stiff and unnatural and not really any better, possibly even worse than the first game in a way that was just not acceptable for a game that came out 10 years after the first game. What has been your impression of that? Uh, I have not encountered it to the degree that I saw it reported. Um, it's definitely there with some of it, but I don't think it's nearly that bad. And I, for what it's worth, I'm playing as a male writer, and there is a thing where uh, people have said, like, I, I have seen specifically the criticism, like that it's especially bad if you play as a default female writer and so if you whichever one you pick gender wise the other gender is your sibling in this so you're just playing as one of two siblings and the other one is the other writer um and you can set the appearance of that so i have just the default sarah writer as my sister and in a flashback every time she did anything it was really bad <laughs> like i don't know what specifically about that was the case. But so if you played as anything like a default Sarah writer, I could definitely see that maybe that criticism comes to the fore a lot more. I don't know why people play with the default settings anyway. People, I, and I only made the sister the default because I was 
wanting to play the game and i'd already had that's why people use default settings but it was for a non-player character that i don't see that much that's just kind of there oh so you can customize the appearance of both yes regardless of who you're playing as okay that's kind of cool yes but you're only looking at your character model so if you pick the male one like i have a custom male rider but not right but the default anyway so um the other i was going to say the once you get away from human animations there's no problem um but the some of the humans can be a little weird and then like they're the asari because they're so human like um can also have some of that issue but like salarians krogan um turians are all fine the other criticism i had heard i think you kind of already answered because the other criticism was that it's just too tedious but when you said that it's more like the first Mass Effect game. I thought maybe it's just the stuff that other people hated, but I liked about the first game. The galaxy map no longer has, and it's not even a galaxy map, but the space map has no longer the really annoying space exploration music, which for me improves <laughs> the uh, experience like a hundredfold. But I quick interjection the repetitive music on the galaxy map caused me to turn off the soundtrack when I played the first game and <laughs> use nine inch nails ghosts one through four as an alternate soundtrack. Good choice. It's, it's really bad. Um, but this doesn't have that it has improved on that front. Um, I have seen people complain about how they do the plan. Cause like whenever you go into a system, it literally goes in almost like a first person view as if you were the ship flying around the system and zooms up to planets and it's really pretty. And I enjoy that. Um, other people seem to hate it cause they're like, Oh, it takes me so long to get to and from a planet. And I, there's all this stuff. And I just, they, they feel it's like filler. And I think it, people are seeing it as a bug and I see it as a feature. So if you like seeing beautiful sp- scenes of space and flying through space and how that's all articulated you would enjoy that are those loading times longer than destiny um it never feels like a loading time if that makes sense okay it's short like you do a little jump between systems you'll get kind of to an overview of the system and then you can pick a planet and it zooms like i could see if you did a bunch of it all at once it gets kind of annoying but i never do a, I might like do a system here or there, or like go specifically to the thing I need in a specific system. Oh, I was also going to throw out. There are five main worlds that you can land on that are pretty large. Um, and to make them fairly intelligible, they are the Ark from Destiny, Hoth, Dagobah, Tatooine, and... Moss Eisley attached to Venus from Destiny. I'm so confused now. I'm just there. <laughs> those were like my initial impressions when I landed on all of them. Did you say the Ark from Destiny? The Ark from Destiny. Like, or, sorry, from Halo 3 is what I meant. Okay. I was thinking of Destiny. Okay. I'm less confused now. So I hear the Krogan and I share a common love. Of smashing? <laughs> oh. <laughs> of gingerbread? Yes. That was one of my favorite parts of it was just like a flavor detail in a terminal. But the Krogan usually have the best flavor details. So 
yeah, there, it was just a long letter of a Krogan describing how amazing um, gingerbread was, and he called it ginger beard and was sure he was spelling it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, if you can get, if you play it, then I would prioritize eventually going to the spot with Krogan and looking it up. That's probably as much time as we should focus on that. <laughs> well, Matthew, how would you rate the game? <laughs> um well what kind of rating system do you want to use for the game Trevor? <laughs> oh which kind do you prefer matthew uh i think there's a lot of different ways you could go um a percentage probably doesn't feel right if i was gonna do it okay i'm just of... gonna interject and let the listener know that we're doing the worst segue ever right now um <laughs> our main topic for this episode is rating systems um so I don't know if you actually wanted to continue on that, Matthew. I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So there was some news recently that Netflix is moving away from a five-star rating system. And they're going to switch to just thumbs up and thumbs down. So that kind of got me thinking about rating systems and how there's a lot of different ways of rating things. And people have different opinions of different systems. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um so what do you guys think of Netflix switching? The main argument I've seen in favor of it is that it's a pragmatic move into what people actually do with rating systems. as opposed. So they were saying like basically that one in five stars were the most common ratings and that everything in between was vastly underutilized. And so it was essentially functioning as a thumbs up, thumbs down. And that, yes, having more ratings is good if you're like personally curating things, but that the way people typically like it essentially saying like, oh, everyone already uses it like this anyway, was the argument to do it. So it feels like for if you didn't use it that way, that you're being punished because of other people being punished. Um, If you liked the system as it is, and they're going to something vastly simpler that does a lot of that offers you less options, you're being punished because of what the majority wants to do. Okay. So I'm going to venture a guess that you prefer the five star system. I'm probably playing my hand too quickly there, but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Dustin, do you care at all about this change? I, I do. Okay. I will share my thoughts. I do not use the rating system on Netflix as much as I used to. Um, Several years ago, when I was using the DVD service, I would manage my queue online, and I was very meticulous about rating the movies, and I would even give them a rating and then go back later and review that rating and see if I, if my feelings had changed at all. I would rate movies that I had seen, uh, and the reason being, the more ratings I gave, the better suggestions Netflix could give me, uh, and the more accurate their predictions of how I would feel about a movie would be. So it helped me out, um, in the future by judging, judging whether or not I would want to watch a movie that has paid pretty good dividends, even in the streaming service. But I've noticed that since I switched to watching things on my Apple TV, that I don't often think to rate them. And I don't know why that is. 
uh, it might just be that uh, previously with in the queue, there was always you you saw the title, and then next to it there was always stars there, so it was always visible. With the Apple TV, you can only you only see the option to rate something once you've actually selected that title. Um, so it's you have to be more intentional to get to the rating system, I guess, in the Apple TV. Something about the format has changed my rating habits, and I don't know what it is, but that's the reality of it. Hmm. Um, so I like the five-star rating. However, I do know that I, as I mentioned, I would spend a lot of time deciding where I wanted to rate it. I would rue the fact that I couldn't do percentages of a star. I had to pick a whole star. <laughs> so I wanted very fine tuning of options, but it would take me forever to to rate something. And I would anguish over what I was going to finally decide and then go back later and, and review that and decide if I had made a mistake or anything. Um, what the thumbs up, thumbs down system does is it removes that uh, anguish time for any for all of the uh, movies that are outside of like that mid-range. So now I can either say, yes, I like something. No, I don't like something. But then once I get into like that two and three star range, now I'm going to have to think, well, did I like it more than I disliked it? Or did I dislike it more than I liked it? Um, so I'm still going to have that, that anguish. It's just going to be over a narrower uh, window. Um, this, I don't know if they're going to be doing any, I haven't read anything about this other than you put this in the topic. Um, are they going to still make suggestions using a star system or are they going to give you just a thumbs up prediction of you liking it or a thumbs down you dislike it? Are they just doing away with predicting your reaction to it? Yeah, the recommendations are going to move to percentage system. Yeah. Oh, so the recommendation is going to be a percentage, but your feedback is just going to be yes, no. Right. And in theory, because everybody's using the same binary rating system, the percentages will actually be more accurate because the inherent problem with basing recommendations on a star system is that everybody uses them differently. This topic made me think of an episode of... Mm. Some NPR podcast that I listened to. Oh, it was a TED Radio Hour on uh, choice and how um, consumers back in the day there was only there were no choices in products. Like they used the example of uh, spaghetti sauce, and all of the spag spaghetti sauces were basically the same until one company started doing research and finding that some people like chunky spaghetti sauce, some people like spicy, some people whatever. And then they started uh, offering slightly uh, sauces that were more tailored to individual tastes. And those people 
then started like their sales jumped through the roof. Um, and then, so that trend has continued sort to where we've got so many choices and now it's kind of crippling the number of choices that we have. Um, or let me rephrase that the number of choices that we have is crippling when, it, uh, and makes it difficult to make a decision. Um, and so I see this thumbs up, thumbs down versus five star system as that dichotomy. Like we want more choices, but then if we get too many choices, it becomes actually harder to make a decision. And so we, we have to, we're kind of the pendulum is swinging different directions. The whole, so I wanted to make a point too, that the, you brought up the whole predictive element that based on your ratings gives you a different prediction. I had found the predictions were relatively accurate until like maybe a year or two ago and they switched something <laughs> on their end where it just, it was not as nearly as accurate as it had once been for me. The main thing I like the, the rating system for is that it's an archive of what I thought of something when I watched it. So sometimes I would like, there would be times like, I know I watched that on Netflix. What did I give it? And then looked at it and was like, oh, I gave that a, a three. So I know that was relatively how I felt about it. Like Dustin mentioned, I remember rating a whole bunch of stuff in the early days of Netflix. And they might still have this on their website, but I remember they had a thing where they would just show you buckets of movies and you could go through and rate them really quick and they would just throw up more as you rated them. And I just remember going through a ton of movies and rating them and hoping it would make my recommendations better. And it, it did. Their system was pretty good for a while, but as Matthew just said, at some point my ratings just, or my recommendations just fell off a cliff and I don't know what happened, but I feel like all I see now is a bunch of stuff I have absolutely no interest in or 85% of the time, Netflix originals and it feels like all they're doing is pushing their original stuff they keep recommending that I watch Gilmore Girls and I've seen some episodes with Aaron and I'm not interested in that and I don't know what about my ratings makes them think that I would like it you have separate profiles set up we do okay well Trevor do you think uh do you think it's a good move that they go to the thumbs up thumbs down uh do you wish they'd stick with the five star what what are your impressions on that so I would kind of agree with Matthew's idea that it's nice to have some more granularity, but I've always been frustrated with, well, I don't know if I've always been frustrated with it, but I find five-star systems frustrating for the reason that nobody agrees what they mean. And so it's like, I could think that something's really, really good, but should I not rate it five stars if it's not my favorite? Or like, is there no way to put my favorites higher up? And then like, is 3% positive or is that like dead even? 3%, you mean like three stars? Three, did I say 3%? Yeah. Yeah. I meant three stars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you just got to create, for instance, on Goodreads, I have a system in place that is consistent with within the books that I've read that's consistent so it's consistent for me but if you were to look at it it might not uh match what you would predict i guess but i understand what you're saying like it, the the five star system it's kind of up to how the user 
implements it. I can see Trevor's point there, though, on the different usages. Like, I have that trouble. <laughs> I had that trouble all the time when it would be like course evaluations or something, and I would give a ton of thought. Like, well, this is they did a good job here, but it wasn't like a five, and other people would just treat it like I liked it. It's all a five, or I I kind of dislike this person, so it's all want like <laughs> like I, yeah. I understand the point that it's hard to assign a universal value to one, two, three, four, or five stars when people approach them differently. And a lot of people will kind of assign verbal meanings to each of the star numbers. So like one would be hated it, five would be loved it, four would just be liked it, three would be it's okay. I don't remember what two would be. Didn't like it. Meh. Didn't like it. Okay. So didn't like it, but also didn't hate it. Yeah. Um, some people would try to assign percentages to them. Um, I guess if I have any reservation about Netflix switching from stars to thumbs, it's what's going to happen to the three star ratings. Right. Because the three star ratings in most cases should be a meh, not a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, but I have a feeling they're all going to be converted to thumbs ups. So um, connecting that with iTunes ratings, um, iTunes did this not that long ago. They switched from stars to, um, hearts, hearts. Yeah. Hearts. So you can love a song or you can like dislike a song or something or unlove it, I guess. Um, and I think the stars are still there, but they're kind of hidden and they don't necessarily feed into the their recommendation engine as much. I don't know, but, um, each week Apple music generates a playlist called my favorites mix. And I can tell you that my favorites mix does not consist purely of songs that I have favorited or rated four or five stars. Um, in some cases it's songs that Betsy has rated highly because we share an account or maybe she started back when they had the radio feature, but I'm convinced that in some cases it's songs that I rated three stars that they've decided are my favorites because I rated them positively in their view. But negatively in yours? Not negatively, just like it's good, but it's not my favorite. Like it's mm -hmm. not great. So I'm wondering if a bunch of three star movies are now going to be considered on par with my favorite movies by Netflix. Yeah. And I'd say like, I watch on a decent amount of comedy, like stand up specials on Netflix and the world of difference between a three star one and a five star one is immense. <laughs> so I don't like them all being lumped in that bucket of like, it probably, if anything will make me more picky with what I actually like. They might start introducing like one thumb up, Two thumbs up, one thumb down, <laughs> one thumb up, one thumb down, two thumbs down, <laughs> two thumbs sideways. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's what two they need. Two thumbs sideways pointing to each other. Yeah. Two thumbs sideways in the same direction. Two thumbs sideways in opposite directions. Like <laughs> they should just give it a two thumbs up, two thumbs down, and then one each, so that you have the good, the bad, and the middle. Yeah. <laughs> well. And that kind of hits on what I was saying with the pendulum. I, I'm guessing that years down the road, we're going to start seeing 
more granularity and the ratings come back. It's just we're in the simplicity swing. I think we'll get back to the complexity. It does kind of bother me that there's no middle option. And really, the majority of stuff you watch is kind of the middle option. Right. Just there's, by definition, most of the stuff's going to fall into a middle area, hopefully. I guess you could watch a ton of stuff and you're like, that was terrible. That was terrible. That was terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Another complicated thing for recommendation systems is that a lot of the places where I'm really thinking about granularity, I don't think Netflix really cares for the purpose of the ratings because say me and another person, I and another person rate all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And I said that Thor The Dark World was one of the best ones and they said it was one of the worst ones. But like overall, we're generally rating the Marvel movies positively. Marvel's going to recommend more Marvel movies and superhero movies. It's not really going to make that big a difference because their system is not really that detailed, I don't think. Mm. It's like a superhero movie is a superhero movie to them, you know? Like they're probably going to... I. I personally like Marvel a lot more than DC, but like there's probably not even really a difference in their view. Like they're both just superhero movies. Um, Given that there have been times I've watched Marvel stuff and it's thrown up a recommended category because you watched this and there's tons of DC stuff in it. I would agree with that (laughs) statement (laughs) on Netflix's. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Dustin likes both. So that makes sense. And like it's probably just true for a lot of people that they do like both. So it makes it tough to sort out those nuances Mm -hmm. because they kind of have to go with the aggregate regardless of how granular the ratings are. I think in a year or two, we'll see them add to the thumb up and thumb down choice a the shrug emoticon. (laughs) That would be beautiful. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, so you had also mentioned Goodreads ratings. Um, I used to put a ton of thought into my Goodreads ratings and I liked the fact that I could even rate books five, even if they weren't my favorites, but then also like add them to my favorite shelf or whatever. Um, but like now I'm like, I'm paralyzed by the choice and I don't rate anything anymore. Same. I don't rate anything on Goodreads cause I'm just, I just can't figure out what I'm supposed to do with it. So if Goodreads gave you a thumbs up, thumbs down option, would you like that? Would you thumb that up? <laughs> um, I, I guess it would work. Um, I think for me, I'm going to have to think of this in terms of, am I glad that I watched this or am I glad that I read this or what I just kind of wish that I hadn't because it's going to recommend more stuff to you based on what you give a thumbs up. Right. So I think that's the question I'm going to have to ask myself is, am I glad I watched this? Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys think of stars more in verbal definitions or percentages? Verbal. Um, I Verbal. Cause I think at one point Netflix literally had verbal pairings with it. Like it was, yeah. Hate it. Didn't like it. Like it really liked it. Loved it. Right. I think Goodreads does too. Yeah. If you hovered the cursor over the star, it would give you those options. What do you guys think of the trope of people writing reviews and saying, I would give this zero stars if I could. I didn't know that was a 
a trope. Had you not seen that? Isn't just not rating it, essentially giving it zero stars? Yeah. So it's pretty common, I think, on Amazon and on like iTunes and the App Store. You'll see that a lot. People who don't like it rate it one star and they say, I, I can't believe I have to give this one star just to write something. I wish I could give it zero stars. I did have a lot, like a, a very hard time, and I don't even know what I ended up doing, between whether I should not, because I think there was a thing where like Netflix could pop it up and ask you for a rating and you could say, I'm not interested in this, which is kind of like a zero star thing. I think I went back and forth for Family Guy on whether to give it one star or to do that. And I don't know what I did because I would have if there was a do not bring like <laughs> scour this from collective everything that would have been the Family Guy option. So thinking about the whole like I wish I could give it zero stars thing. I had a thought. Um, I think when people do think of percentages for star ratings. I've heard them say that three stars is like 60% because they're thinking three of five. Um, but I have a theory that one star is zero because like one of you just said, no stars just means you haven't rated it yet. So I would say one star is zero. And then each of the stars after that is worth 20% or sorry, 25% rather than all of the stars being worth 20 20%. That makes sense, given that three is kind of like the middle of the pack. Like, this is the thing. <laughs> well, well, one is the bottom. The problem yeah. is that the counting starts at one, not at zero. So if it's percentages, one is zero, and three is 50%, and five is 100%. Yeah, I was just saying if you had three and that's 50%, that's like exactly saying like, this is in the middle. Right, which is why I'm not too happy about the fact that those would probably become thumbs up, because they... Some of them would be thumbs up. Some of them would be thumbs down, I think. Because sometimes it means, you know, I didn't have any special love of this, but I didn't hate it enough to give it a two, I guess. Right. It's just like, whatever. But sometimes it means good, but not great. I remember reading a while ago that Netflix had a Scrooge rating for each user that would define if the user tended to rate things higher or lower on aggregate, then it would kind of adjust. Like, so it might know like, Oh, Trevor is really harsh with his reviews. So like a three from him on this is like a four for anyone else. Hmm. That would be interesting if true. Yeah. I think it was a way that they kind of helped key their recommendations to the patterns of individual users or, Rather, a way that they allowed users to rate things the way they would without totally throwing off the recommendations just because of their own tendency to be critical. Did you want to touch on your stars and dinosaurs things since that's tangential to Netflix? That's probably my favorite uh, rating system that I've heard about recently. <laughs> well, okay, so this is something that we talked about before, but it got lost from episode five uh, cultural dynapology. We mentioned that, uh, yeah, the audio got corrupted. And so we lost this part of the discussion, but we mentioned that after I watched, what was it? Primeval. Matthew asked me what I thought of it. And what did I tell you, Matthew? The audio is corrupted in our memories as well. We, we don't know. No, I don't mean in the episode. I mean, in the actual conversation. 
Um, I believe that it was like a two star show, but then there were dinosaurs, so that gave it two stars and a dinosaur, and this dinosaur essentially standing in for a star took it up to three. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if I had started at three or two, but I think you're right. I said that it was a two star show, but two stars and a dinosaur because it had had dinosaurs in it. And that was cool. And after that I kind of would talk about other movies having dinosaurs just to kind of account for that factor of wonder that is often present in slightly lower quality things, but (laughs) like, I still want to give credit for it because like, I like those things. How many stars and dinosaurs does Thor the dark world get? Um, (laughs) the, what is it? The ice or thunder beast, something that's kind of like a diamond. No, (laughs) (laughs) Well, originally I only used it for things that actually had dinosaurs in them. Yeah. Um, But then I kind of transposed it to things that just had cool stuff. The catch with Thor The Dark World is I just plain like that movie. So, like, I don't even need to upgrade it with dinosaurs because I already considered it a five-star movie. But how many dinosaurs does it get? One? Two? I don't even know what to say. I don't think it applies in this scenario is what he's saying. Well, you could have more than five stars. We just arbitrarily picked five stars to be the rating system. 65 million. So it could, it could be five stars and three dinosaurs. Um, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know how to apply it to something that I already consider to be five stars. Yeah. So because it doesn't, need a boost it's only a compensation system for lowly rated things or things featuring dinosaurs for the listener in the dinopology episode is that what we called it dinopology cultural dinopology cultural dinopology episode after trevor mentioned the system i just started asking him a bunch of movies and not all of them had dinosaurs so he i tried to go along with it but kind of fell apart um he started asking me about star wars movies yeah you were a little bit inconsistent (laughs) i uh, i remember really kind of losing it when you asked me about return of the jedi and i was like five stars and five dinosaurs but like (laughs) (laughs) it's also one of my very favorite movies of all time possibly i don't need the one of on that sentence star wars the force awakens don't even get me started what's the opposite of a dinosaur (laughs) because that oh man um that it was rhetorical move on alligators <laughs> <laughs> yeah how many alligators does it get um so the force awakens is another great example of how difficult rating stuff can be because like any rating system is going to assume that i'm going to love the force awakens and in a lot of ways i do it <laughs> wait tell me those ways I, I haven't heard them it's a star wars movie okay so that's one way Um, can you insert cricket sounds here? <laughs> I'm chirp, chirp. I'm trying to think chirp, of something else. Um, it has uh, that the pill lighting. There's like the pill shape cut in the walls. That's one thing that I like about it. 
I'm not sure if this is possible, but when you say that, can we go back and edit in, even though this is primarily an audio thing, a screenshot of footage not found? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is an example of how rating systems fall short, because any recommendation system is going to say, oh, Trevor's going to love The Force Awakens. And um, in one way, he does. (laughs) Although it is a Star Wars movie, and I will probably watch it plenty of more times in my life because it's a Star Wars movie. There are a lot of things that really frustrate me about that movie because of how much I love Star Wars. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just a really odd case. I wouldn't know how to rate it. Um, it's, <laughs> there's no way to account for that with however many stars or thumbs or thumb directions, thumbs down and a fart noise. But, but like, but, but it's still a Star Wars movie. <laughs> So, like, as a Star Wars movie, there are a lot of things I really hate about it, but I still like that it's a Star Wars movie, I guess. Kind of like with Iron Man 2. Um, for you, maybe. So, Star Wars The Force Awakens versus Thor The Dark World. What? I like Thor The Dark World better. Yeah, how? that's not a... Oh, okay. So, I wasn't sure if the lowest Star Wars movie would be higher than any other of his favorite movies. I, that was what I was testing with that. Okay. Oh, um, I think, well, okay, this brings us into another topic of rating things that I want to talk about, which is um, possibly the most granular system there is, which is rather than assigning percentages or stars or thumbs to things, ranking things against each other. So this is tough to do with anything more than a handful of things. So like a lot of people will say, like, tell me like in order what all your favorite, like which Star Wars movie is your favorite to which one is your least favorite. But there's not all that many of those in the grand scheme of things. You couldn't do that with every movie. At least not very easily. Yeah, (laughs) you could given. uh, On an infinite time scale. An infinite time scale, yes. Um, I was struggling not to say that. Um, so like it, it's not nearly as difficult for me to rank star Wars movies against each other as it is to simply say, how many stars would I give the force awakens? Does that make sense? Yes. Because you're talking about a set of relationships that are easier to assess without having to assign a directly almost numerical value. So it's qualitative versus quantitative. Yes. So how do you guys feel about rating things that way or ranking things? I'd say that's a little more natural in a way. It's just once you get into too many things, it becomes impossible to do. Uh, It it becomes impossible to do functionally and in an easy, user-friendly way that... Because if you're trying to... If like you were doing that with every movie or show you've ever watched, it'd be impossible because then you'd have a, a huge just blank is greater than is greater than is greater than. And it, in a sense, I don't know, it, <laughs> it becomes hard to do that way. I find it's easiest with the top two or three and the bottom two or three. And then anything in between, it becomes difficult, just as difficult as assigning the stars for me. That's true. Um, I would say just the Marvel cinematic universe alone right now is getting to the point where I 
have a hard time ranking this stuff against each other. Yeah. Like I can give my tops and my, <laughs> my tops and my bottoms, but <laughs> you know, like the ones that I think are the, my favorites and my least favorites. And then anything in between, I'm just like, nah, here, here's an order. <laughs> if you ask me another day, it might be a different order, but I'm just right. trying to get it done. And, the part in the middle is where it gets hard too, because you end up butting. If you don't hit like a, I'm neutral on this, you're, you can hit like, it, even if you have everything firmly decided as like, I really like this or I dislike this, you hit the middle and it suddenly flips and it feels weird. But then more likely you're just going to have a apathetic layer <laughs> of like, I saw that and it's okay and it's not terrible. Yeah. Once again, it feels like three layers would kind of be the easiest to do where it's like, I really love these. These are also good. And then like, why did these happen? <laughs> Which is kind of how I feel about Iron Man two <laughs> and three and the Hulk. I liked three. I know a lot of people put three there though. Yeah. It's comparatively one of the more successful movies. It's one of the four that's made over a billion. Really? Okay. So you're rating success with the money it made. I was about to ask you how you were rating success. Um, I was just throwing that out that someone out there thinks it's good. <laughs> right. It's just interesting because I hear people talk trash about Iron Man 3 all the time. It's far superior to like two's a <laughs> I yeah, two is not good. Well, I I totally agree with you on that, but I hear people frequently say that Iron Man three is trash and it's not nearly as good as the first two. That doesn't make sense. Did they see the okay, anyway, that's not we're not here to discuss the relative merits of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't start ranking stuff, but um I just wanted to talk about the system, I guess. So I in just discussing comparative um, scales, one of the things that is an interesting one, which I think we might have discussed a little bit before, is the pain scale, which is hey. <laughs> seriously. I was just a, I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> this was not on my list. Did you see that on Trello? Yes. Okay. I just <laughs> I was going to intro it as my least favorite rating system. <laughs> oh, I think it's an awful rating system because it's awful. If you have any imagination, um, <laughs> because they always say, okay, imagine on a one to 10 scale, the worst pot with one being the least painful thing and 10 being the worst possible thing. How is the pain you feel right now? And the thing is like, that'll immediately put it in context for me. I'd be like, oh yeah, my arm's broken too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have a compound fracture. Two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like there. I, I don't think yeah. that saying what you can imagine is a great use of that scale because it's like I you there's some pretty bad stuff that could happen to you. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm I think it's it's the whole aspect of the five star system where it depends on the user to the extreme. Because I don't know what someone else's pain tolerance is. I know mine's pretty low. I'm kind of a wimp. So my my four might be someone else's one. And it's it's completely useless to me. Or you might end up with someone who like sprained their wrist lightly and they're like, I don't know, 10, give me the morphine, like just because they want <laughs> drugs. Yeah. Um 
I have most of the time seen this paired with smiley faces. Not not all of them are smiling, of course, but I, it's that's generally geared more towards kids. So it has uh, varying degrees of discomfort displayed on the face, and I think that is a much better rating system than the numerical one that is given to adults. What what scale is used for children? So whenever I've been to the ER or the birthing ward in our hospital, <laughs> there is a paper on the wall that has at, on the bottom half, it's a scale of numbers. And on the top half, it's a scale of faces with like a really sad face crying, like obviously in pain. And then on the other end of the spectrum, a happy face and then in between, you just have varying degrees of transition from happy to obviously in a lot of pain. Okay. And do they just ask the kids to point to it or something? Yeah, point point to the one that for how you feel. Okay. So the kid could say, like, I, I feel like crying even though I'm not crying. Yeah. Again, a much better system than numbers. Yeah. When I think of pain tests, I always think of... In the beginning of Dune, there's a box that you put your hand in and it just causes like the most intense pain imaginable. Mm -hmm. Oh, so like the the tribes in South America that do the bullet ant gloves. Um, I guess so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's a box and it's um when I hear about scales of pain, I think that the top of the scale has to be that box, and so I can't possibly answer the question until I know what that feels like <laughs> <laughs> well and that's another thing i think the top of the scale is sometimes explained as the worst pain you've ever felt what if i've never i've never broken a bone right so my worst pain is maybe a sprained ankle or something you know i would have a hard time separating that from not from physical pain from like emotional pain because when i think the worst of pain it's not a physical sensation. And then I would just get probably depressed thinking about things. <laughs> Which brings me to, I almost mentioned something else from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. There's a device that um, basically you step into the simulation and it shows you just exactly how small you are in comparison with the universe. And it's designed to just like cause the most intense psychological pain and cause people to go crazy i guess um hmm. so if the scale was on if the scale was psychological then i think of that instead of the box from dune either way it's useless for you is it bad that i kind of would be interested in that like your smallness compared to the universe box it <laughs> um yes everybody who has gone into it has been driven completely insane hmm. <laughs> so do we want to uh, talk about other things that are more like rating aggregators, like Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I wanted to ask you, Matthew, about one Netflix thing specifically first. Oh, sure. I remember in the past talking with you about how we both wanted the ability to rate individual episodes on Netflix. Was that a feature that was actually there, or was it something that we just wanted? Um, I how I actually remember it being 
was they used to have they used to not have whole series together they had it broken up by seasons a lot like how amazon still does it um and we had like we've talked about i think it was specifically with buffy how we had different ratings for the show based on the different seasons that's right and that it then condensed down into one and then we said we liked that a lot less because it's like the show had different levels of quality over the seven seasons so it didn't feel fair to give it a whole blanket rating and then i think we talked about like out of that discussion it was saying like if anything they should have gone the other way because there are wildly different quality episodes in different seasons (laughs) so yeah and the the episode ratings would really be only for personal use i guess yeah and i guess seasons too seasons seasons seems like a no-brainer though like yeah but nowadays with Netflix, you barely even know when you go into a new season. Yeah, that's true. You have to kind of feel the rhythm of the show if it even does that, like have a seasonal rhythm or cliffhanger for a big event or something. I could see the episode specific things being a lot more useful for a show where you would go back and want to watch the best of episodes. Right. Like specifically Twilight Zone. If you wanted to do that, you would want to filter out the really really good ones from the dross yeah as it is i guess your best bet is to just google best twilight zone episodes and try to remember which ones you had liked yeah right now netflix's recommendations are star-based just like the ratings are and i think on the apple tv it shows the star rating in red if it's what they think you'll think of it but then after you rate it, then it turns white. Yellow. Yellow? Oh, yellow, that's right. On Xbox, it's red. it starts red and then goes yellow when you rate it. Okay, yeah, it's the same way on Apple TV. Um, so, so they're definitely still using stars and possibly incorporating that Scrooge rating that I had mentioned earlier. If that actually exists and I'm not just imagining it or thinking of somebody's speculation. I think it actually existed. I would be interested to see what my Scrooge rating is. Yeah, I tried to look up the thing that I had read about it, but I couldn't find it because anything I searched for regarding Netflix and Scrooge just brought up a bunch of movies with Scrooge in the title. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. So that didn't work very well. I don't think there's any way to see your own Scrooge rating either. Only on Christmas Day. And you have to go through an ordeal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you won't know your screwed rating until you talk to the third ghost. <laughs> yes, I rated so many movies that I died. Thank you. <laughs> ghost of ratings future. <laughs> so now with the thumbs, they're going to percentage rankings. So basically, what percentage of... I guess it's not just what percentage of users gave this a thumbs up, but what percentage of users that are similar to you gave this a thumbs up, something like that. I guess I was not sure on how the percentage, what it was going to, if it was going to be a, this, how many people, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. See, I'm not interested in that at all. Why not? I don't want to know what other people like. I want to know what I'm going to like. Well, no, I think it's trying to tell you, what they expect you like there's an 87% chance you'll like this movie. Yeah. Versus a 13% chance. And back when it did more of a prediction based on what like you and people, the, the things that you like, what 
people with similar tastes in that would like, I think it kind of grouped you in that sense. Sometimes it just massively diverged. Like for instance, it would constantly tell me, Hey, you'll really like my little pony. (laughs) And that was not something I was. I've always thought that about you, Matthew. I did just a fuse it out, I guess. But anyway, (laughs) needless to say, I was not super interested in looking at or watching my little pony, but a parent, but just because of the whole brony demographic, it, is something that lots of people really like. It's probably from watching Adventure Time. Um, that was well before they ever put Adventure Time even briefly on Netflix. Mm. I stand corrected, or sit corrected. So, <laughs> um, I haven't seen specific information on how their percentages will work, but my impression is that of people who rate things similarly to how you rate them how many of them liked it, that's sort of an idea. I'm sure the algorithm is more complex than that, but I think that's the basic idea. Which brings us to rating aggregators, such as Rotten Tomatoes. Rating aggravators? How do you guys feel? What? (laughs) Rating aggravators? Uh, How do you feel about Rotten Tomatoes, Dustin? I actually like it. I use it a lot. Okay. Do you want me to go more into depth? With that, uh, how how do you feel about it, Matthew? Um, Jen, it's useful as a a general cultural barometer, but I wouldn't necessarily take anything that's on it as a gospel truth about how that movie is going to be perceived by me. So you don't even use it to judge the movies; you use it to judge the culture that's creating these ratings. It's definitely more useful for what people think about the movie, yes. Okay, you said cultural barometer, and so I'm imagining a barometer for the culture. But you mean a barometer made of culture? (laughs) (laughs) Um, In a way, if you, yeah, sure, why not? This is not a useful distinction, let's just move on. (laughs) I think it's very useful. (laughs) Look, right now I'm just trying to find... I would rate your analogy three out of five stars. (laughs) Right now, I'm trying to find out what the rating for Dragon Wars is. <laughs> Dragon Wars is rated 29%. That is higher than some certain other movies that I won't mention. <laughs> um, Dragon Wars, uh, I'm surprised it's that high. Maybe there are a lot of South Koreans using Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is lower than the critical score, <laughs> somehow. So... Do either of you know much about how the tomato meter works? My impression is that it, um, take like, um, critics would enter in a score and the percentage that you see for a movie is the percentage of critics that rate it overall positively. Right. So, um, a lot of times when I bring up rotten tomatoes to friends, they will just say, well, Rotten Tomatoes isn't always right, you know. Um, but that kind of misses the point of rating aggregators, which, as Matthew said, it's just kind of an overall gauge for things. It's not Rotten Tomatoes is not saying this movie is good or that movie is bad. They're saying this is how many people think the movie's good. So they're not even they're not saying like this many people said. many people said 30%, like anything like that. It's purely 
binary. So it is a lot like the thumb thing. Like Dustin said, the tomato meter is an aggregate of overall positive and overall negative reviews. They don't take into account like whether somebody gave like three or four or five stars, it's just positive or it's negative. And then on the tomato meter, they give it a fresh score above 60%, a rotten score 59% or less. And then if it's above 75% steadily and has a certain number of reviews, then it gets certified fresh. So then there's on top of the critic score, there's also the audience score, which, um, their cutoff for good and bad is 3.5 stars. So, which is interesting to me because of what I said earlier about how three stars could kind of be a bad thing. So they have the full popcorn bucket at 3.5 stars and higher. And then the tipped over popcorn at 3.5 stars or lower or less, sorry, less than 3.5 stars. So three stars is bad because that's only like 50 or 60% depending on how you're looking at it. So it's, following the trend of the critics score. If it's 50 or 60% is the, the bad that's right around what they, the cutoff is for critics. What I meant was, um, three stars. If you're counting one star as zero or as 20%, as discussed earlier, that would be either 50% or 60%. So, so that would still be bad. The cutoff for good or bad on the tomato meter audience score is 3.5 stars. Right. So what I'm saying is for the critics, you can have a, uh, good tomato down to 60%, but if it's 59% or less, it's a rotten tomato, which is as close to or the so three stars is as close as they can get to that percentage using the th- the star system. So it correl it's 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 the same thing basically. If you're counting three stars as fifty or sixty percent, is that in that same range as what they cut off for um for the critics? I think they've got the cutoff just a touch higher for audiences because depending on whether you count one star as zero or 20, 3.5 stars out of five would be like 62 to 75%. Okay. But then, I mean, I guess there's still rounding because rounding beyond a half star, if they, if they put the cutoff at like 3.2 stars, that'd be kind of nuts. Wait, can you give a 0.2 star? No, no. This is the aggregate ratings. Oh, oh, okay. I see. So like one guy rates it three, one guy rates it four, and that puts it at 3.5. Okay. Then forget what I was saying. Okay. Um, anyway, so we've kind of explained how the tomato meter works. When, when people tell me rotten tomatoes isn't always right, it kind of annoys me because rotten tomatoes has no opinion. It's just telling you what other people think. Uh, which brings me to the next thing I wanted to bring up. One of my favorite ongoing things on the internet is... DC fans with a vendetta against Rotten Tomatoes. Um, there have been petitions and angry people on message boards who think that Rotten Tomatoes is somehow being... Uh, they think that Rotten Tomatoes is somehow part of a conspiracy to promote the Marvel movies over the DC movies by providing 
negative tomato meter ratings or low tomato meter ratings. And it's just so patently absurd that I find it humorous. I think I read and I have not followed up with this, but that the parent company, it like somehow is all owned by like, I don't know if it's Warner brothers or the parent company of Warner brothers, but essentially rotten tomatoes is connected in that same company thing. So if anything, it should be the opposite. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) yeah, it's, it's just one of those kind of great conspiracy theories that like people get really upset about, but, like I it's one thing to be annoyed that a movie got low reviews and say, Hey, that's not really deserved. But to say that it's part of some big conspiracy where a company that is actually related to the company in question is trying to bring it down. Like it's just, it's just so weird. It is weird that like, as Trevor was pointing out that dragon wars, which is, a terrible movie by any means, <laughs> um, even if you enjoy it for how terrible it is, somehow has a better rating than Batman versus Superman, which I have not seen, but I wouldn't think it's Dragon Wars levels of bad. Right. Suicide Squad is at 25. Batman versus Superman is at 27 and Dragon Wars somehow at 29. It's, it's <laughs> kind of weird. Um, so, Dustin, as somebody who does like DC stuff. How do you feel about those movies being rated that low? Do you feel like that makes sense or do you feel like it is a deficiency in the review aggregating system? So I am able to, the way I use Rotten Tomatoes is I look on there, I see what its score is, and that gives me a general idea of am I probably going to like this? Uh, or am I, or should I not waste my money to go see it? Um, a lot of times I feel about a movie kind of in the same ballpark as what the aggregate score is for the critics. Not always, but I, I tend to look at the critics aggregate as a bellwether. Is that the phrase? I understand what you mean. yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't often look at the fan ratings because they are generally, generally they're higher than the critics because you get more people that. Right. People are rating stuff because they like it or they hate it. (laughs) You know, right. You don't get a whole lot of in between. Um, but I don't always agree with the critic ratings. Um, with Batman versus Superman, I felt like my opinion of the movie fell more toward the fan rating of in the seventies. I think it might have changed since yeah, 63 right now. Oh, okay. So it's gone down since when I looked at, uh, yeah, regardless, I felt like it was more in that range than the twenties that it was getting from the critics. I watched Suicide Squad and felt like it deserved lower than the, the critics' rating. Wow. Um, or at, at the very least, it deserved the, the low score that it got from the critics. I don't think that it's 
a problem with the aggregate system because there's not really any way to screw that part up. As we talked about, it's just collecting a binary set of did this person rate it overall positive or overall negative. And so there's, it's not like, I think that the whole conspiracy theory is bunk as most conspiracy theories are. Um, what were your other questions? I think you covered it. Okay. So yeah, it's just, it's opinions. It's okay for someone to like a movie that the majority of the populace didn't like. You can't criticize someone for their preferences. Um, Earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast on technology and it was talking about someone's preference of iPhone screen. They like, they don't like the white one, the, the white uh, face. They like black faces because of reasons, but they made a good point of that's just my opinion. Other people, they might like it. It doesn't make you right or wrong to have an opinion. Um, and so I'm not going to get beat up about something if I feel that the majority of critics rated it low. I'm just going to say, well, my opinion of it was higher than that and move on. Right. Also, and I think I pointed this out in my emails uh, or my email of the Batman versus Superman review last year. Um, but I feel like you, you uh, pointed out Matthew that you were surprised that Batman versus Superman was lower than dragon wars. And I think it's because I, I don't think that these aggregate scores necessarily reflect the quality of the movie on of movies on an absolute scale. Um, I would look at it more as within a genre uh, because within the genre of superhero movies, you've got the Marvel movie, uh, Marvel cinematic universe and Marvel has done a really good job of creating a cinematic universe and uh, putting out quality material and DC is entering into that or trying to enter into that uh, space with things beyond Batman. And um, I don't know. I feel like they're just trying to play catch up. Uh, and so any reviewer that's going in to a DC movie and myself included, I'm going to be rating that with the Marvel movies as a backdrop in my, in my mind. And so, um, you might have a more negative reaction to that movie because you've seen how good things can be and see how that didn't measure up to what you could have hoped for. Um, rather than, something like Dragon Wars, where what are you going to rate that against? Like other kaiju <laughs> movies, you know? Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And I think a good case in point for that is The Phantom Menace, which um, I know a lot of people hate it, but I think 
part of why it's as hated as it is for a lot of people is simply that it didn't meet their specific expectations for the Star Wars prequels. So, and that's also an example of something that I like and like other people don't like it, whatever. I still like it. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact that it has 50, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes doesn't change how I feel about it. Yeah. And I do think that that 55% has a lot to do with the expectations that were set up for it. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, the force awakens is rated 92% and, uh, somehow the expectations, the way that was marketed and everything, for some reason, people were a lot more receptive to it, even though there's not nearly anything as original as there was in the Phantom Menace. Um, I, I could go on, but yeah, like it, I agree with <laughs> that. That's how people felt about it, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, back to Batman versus Superman, I recognize that it was, it was not the movie I was hoping it would be. I still enjoyed it. And my enjoyment of it cannot be separated from my love of Batman and wonder woman. And I, I feel like the same is true of your enjoyment of the Phantom Men- Menace. It can't be separated from just your love of the Star Wars universe. And so while other people could present logical arguments uh, about why uh, Batman versus Superman isn't a good movie, that doesn't change my preference because my preference isn't always logical. And... Also, I have a problem when someone tells me that, or anyone, that uh, you don't like something the right way, or your opinion is wrong, my opinion is right, you need to switch. And this is just another topic, again, that I don't know that we should go into, but... It's relevant. Yeah. Granted, if somebody seems open to conversation, I will try to explain to them why I think Rogue One is better than The Force Awakens. But if they're just saying they happen to like it better, then I'm not going to really, I'm not going to try to convince them like just because they disagreed with me. It would only, only be in the context that they actually wanted to discuss the relative merits. Yeah. So how should we rate things in the future? No ratings. Just go in and experience and let it be what it is. What about when people want us to say how we felt about things? Um, Oh, wait, I have an anecdote for this. They, so there's a game rate or there's a game site called Kotaku that has had an ongoing discussion about ratings. Um, They used to have, and I forget even what it was, a, some metric for rating games. um, And then they came out and said, we talked about this and we don't like having the metric because that becomes too much of a thing people focus on. They'll say like, Oh, um, well, Kotaku gave it this and they didn't like that because they felt like it removed all the qualitative analysis of what a game was. So then they went to a, should you play this? Yes or no. Um, and then after a while they went, they evaluated that and they said, even that's not fair. 
So they stopped rating altogether. They'll do a review and they'll list what they think were positives and what they think were negatives about a game. Um, and that's about the extent of summary. I like that. Um, that reminded me of a point that I wanted to make with the what I thought was the DC fans beef with Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and it's something that I've done myself. When I see a low score on a movie, I'm probably not going to go watch it in theaters. And so when a fan who is really happy with the movie sees it get a low review or a low aggregate score, then that means that people are probably not going to go watch it and it's going to struggle in the box office. And then it's going to have all these other negative effects on the franchise that they like. And then maybe those movies that they were hoping for aren't going to get made things like that. So, um, I can understand. And again, now, now that I know that it's, they thought there was some kind of conspiracy, then this is not as valid, but I can understand the disappointment with rotten tomatoes in that regard in that people are going to look at that, see that it's overall getting negative reviews and probably not going to go watch it. And I have been guilty of that myself. I wish that I had more, more of the habit of going to see a movie that I th was interested in and then later looking at the Rotten Tomatoes score, but that's not the way I use the system. And I think it's not the way that the majority of the populace uses the system. So... Fun story about that. I had no intention of seeing Batman versus Superman because I'm not really interested in those characters. But then I saw how low their score was on Rotten Tomatoes and I had, I had to see what was going on. Uh, I really wanted to, so that you could annoy your friends. No, like I, <laughs> I wanted to know, if it was really as bad as the reviews were saying. And I thought if they said it was that bad, maybe it would actually be kind of entertaining. Um, and, like Dragon Wars? <laughs> yeah, like Dragon Wars or something. Um, but I was I was blown away by how much I disliked it. I Even knowing how low, even knowing that at the time it was rated like, I feel like it was like 17% or something at the time, I, that still didn't prepare me for how much I disliked it. Like I, and I was with a person who was really into Batman and he not was, me for the user, not or for yeah, the not, listener, not Dustin. It was another friend who invited me to go see it. And, um, I mean, that was part of why I saw it as well, but I had been thinking maybe I should see this just to see what the deal is. Cause I'm hearing all these like bad reviews and then people upset about the bad reviews. Um, and then this guy invited me to go see it and I was like, okay, fine. I'll go see what's going on. And, he was like, he had like visible and audible reactions throughout the whole movie to how frustrated he was with it Yeah, as a Batman fan. So yeah. I would love to talk about this more in depth in another episode. So I think we should put this on the docket. Yeah. Maybe we should not really even do all that, but, um, Oh no, no I'm, just, I'm saying, I think we should put this on the docket of potential topics. Okay. I would have very little to say, but yes, we could. I mean, I don't want to just make people angry. I think that we could probably have a, a decent conversation about it. That's Dustin's secret. He's always angry. <laughs> <laughs> On uh, Can I say just a little bit more? Uh, 
I remember being really frustrated when I saw the negative reviews from critics when Phantom Menace came out. But the thing was, um, at the time, at least by my memory, it was just critics. The regular people loved it. Uh, and I know that the collective memory of that has changed so that now I hear stories about people like weeping in the theater after they saw it. Um, but <laughs> at the time, I think the average people did kind of like it. Um, and nowadays you can't even mention Star Wars without people going on a rant about how much they hate the prequels. So that aspect is annoying to me. Um, and I don't really even want to argue with these people. I just want them to agree to disagree so we can talk about something else. That's kind of the way I feel about DC stuff when talking with you guys. <laughs> well, I feel like we don't really have any wrap up here. How would you rate us? <laughs> yeah. No, don't. Oh, you know, that's actually a good idea. Um, one thing that's really helpful to podcasts is when they get rated on iTunes. So if you want to go give us a, a completely undecipherable rating made out of stars that nobody will really know what means. Um, Preferably around five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since these ratings don't really mean anything, you should just do five of them uh, and then write some nice words because I liked what Matthew said about the Kotaku rating stuff where the rankings or the whatever system they were using didn't really work. So like, it's better just to say some stuff. Um, you should do that. You should go to iTunes and search for us and, and write some things and give us stars. Shout out to Austin Castle, who did that Yes, near the very beginning of the show. Yes, I appreciated that. Um, another thing that he did is he joined our Slack group. Um, there will someday be a way to sign up for that on your own, but right now, if you want to sign up, you need to email us at feedback at betterworlds.net and ask for an invitation, and we will gladly invite you so that you can talk with us and we can talk with you. Um, and it'll be fun. It will be fun. This podcast is a conversation and we want to hear your part of it. Um, unless it's about hating the prequels, unless it's about hating the prequels, then just, you know, go start your own podcast or something, I guess. And I won't listen to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> 180 episodes in and they still talk about how much they hate them. No. If you want to see the show notes, um, we will have some relevant links and such at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash eight. Is this episode eight? Yes, it is. Episode eight. Not counting episode zero. Well, it's, I didn't say eighth episode. Okay. That's true. Yeah. It's episode eight. It's the ninth episode. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> now that you're thoroughly confused. Yeah. Uh, have I left anything out? Nope. I'd say we're ripe for a close. Okay. Bye. Go then. There are other worlds than these. <laughs> exactly. Which is the most appropriate thing for our Better World podcast to be said. Um, Maybe that should be our sign-off. Goes in. There are other worlds. <laughs> um, here's the problem. No one would understand it. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, they would. They would say, oh, hey, that's that thing. That's that tagline from that movie that I saw on that poster. Wait, is that the tagline on the poster? Yep.
Oh. Um, well, it doesn't say go then. It just says there are other worlds than these. Okay. Have you guys heard about this place called Finland? You know, I've heard there it is the pl- home of the Finns um, and that it's pretty far north. No. <laughs> fun, fun fact from the book, What If? If the Earth were to stop rotating, the safest place to be would be in Helsinki because the speed of the winds that were, would result uh, from that sudden stop would be lower the further north or I mean closer to the poles that you get. And also there's hmm. some kind of underground mall or something in Helsinki, so you could just go in there and survive. Neat. I'll the have wind to remember poc- that for when the earth stops. <laughs> or when it stops spinning. Yeah. Um, also, depending on where it stops spinning, where <laughs> there's a very narrow habitable <laughs> zone soon. <laughs> like when one side burns up and the other cools off. Yeah. But the wind would just blow everything around anyway, so it'd just be a like a nuclear wasteland. Fair point. Minus the radiation. Also related to Finland, <laughs> the Finnish language is one of the few major languages in Europe that is a language isolate. So pretty yes. much everything in Europe is related to like in Indo-European or like relates back to that uh, language family. And I just think it's really interesting when you have language isolates. They're kind of an interesting case study. If you're wondering how much I hate both of you right now, the answer is a lot. <laughs> Tolkien based the Elvish language on Finn. Uh, Finnish. Also, Finnish is most closely related to Hungarian, I believe. It's also something we're never going to do if we keep talking about Finland. Hungarian's one of the other uh, language isolates. Yeah, that is a big one. There's some like a lot smaller things like Basque, but they're they're not spoken by a huge amount of people. So it's Finnish and Hungarian are the ones that are usually pointed out as being um the weird oddballs because most other European languages are related. I've heard that the prevailing theory is that those languages are remnants from Attila the Hun and his well, ma- yeah. merry band of men that came through and conquered things. Hungarian definitely makes sense because... Well, right, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, makes perfect sense there. But it's also interesting, and I've never looked into it, but that um, apparently Lithuanian is a very conservative language that has very little change over time. So they use it as a uh, hallmark for when they're doing like reconstructions of Indo-European for what they think of how things would have changed over time. And like using that as almost like a living fossil of a language. It's interesting. Yeah. So it's the horseshoe crab of languages. Yeah. Something like that. Of European languages, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, the other day, I ended up having a discussion with a guy who (laughs) um, was trying to explain how, what, or what, he was saying to people what English was based off of, and he's like, oh, it's base language is Latin. And (laughs) then that just, I just started talking a lot. I'm pretty sure I mansplained English to him, but that was, (laughs) uh, I just, it was the wrong thing to say with me there sorry <laughs> yeah and in to, in his defense he was very receptive to the change of it and he and then he just started blaming things on his catholic school education 
which I thought was kind of a funny turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like uh, who? Oh, geez, in Arrested Development, the is it George is the dad? Yeah, George Blue. Okay, Senior. so yeah, George Senior is in the prison. He's says, "I've got the worst lawyers." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think of that a lot. <laughs> Trevor, are you still with us? Oh, yeah. I'm just updating the notes on what we need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Not Finland. <laughs> Finland? Check. <laughs> you should you should open it up. I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> How many reptiles are in Finland? Now I'm actually genuinely curious because it's so far north you wouldn't think it would actually support that many prepped i don't know <laughs> i i need to go wake up erin she can answer a lot of these <laughs> what? wait can she that's cool she uh her grandfather was i guess born in the u.s but his, both his parents were uh immigrants from finland Nokia Pride of Finland sounds like a patriotic song or something. <laughs> Let us hail Nokia Pride of Finland or something. Mammals of Finland? Reindeer. Oh, yeah. We, you don't have anything on here about saunas? Oh, that's like the main thing in their thing. Trevor. Yeah, come on, Trevor. About what? Saunas. Saunas. That's like their thing. That's the main thing about their culture. I Google it, but I don't even know what you're saying. Aaron's aunt has a sauna in her basement. What are you saying? Sauna. What are you What are you saying? Sauna. You've never heard of a sauna? A hot room where people get naked and sweat. Oh, those. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's somewhat close to the actual definition. <laughs> That's that's what the Wikipedia page says, I'm sure. <laughs> a bath that uses dry heat to induce perspiration and in which steam is produced by pouring water on heated stones. <laughs> There's very little talk about being naked, but it's generally... It's a bath that makes you need to take another bath. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's common to be nude, I believe. And I just think it's... The... <laughs> or, you know, with a towel. It's just the thing that they, whenever I've seen anything about Finland, and then I think to a lesser degree, it goes into like Swedish culture too, but I almost feel like it's absorbed from Finland that it's the central leisure activity and like a social activity that everyone talks about or think like people think it's necessary almost like it, I would equate it to how Asian cultures treat rice as like just a central thing that you do like it's not. It's an almost non-negotiable. Or in Costa Rica, how coffee was like the center of any social setting. Mm. <laughs> Nude sweating. The rice of Finland. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. We can check off a couple of these things. <laughs> Finnish economy. Uh, Finland's got a really good education system. How is their economy, though? <laughs> I think they are actually one of the top economies in Europe, or they might be a rising economy. The northern Scandinavian countries are really strong economically. I know that. I 
but I always think of like Norway and Sweden as being the leaders on that. And I just don't know actually where. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, a thing about Finland is that they have a healthcare system. What is it called? I don't know. Everybody's got healthcare. It's a welfare state, I guess you would call it. Um, Um, Like a single payer system. Yeah, it's usually what you call. Yeah, so they've got a thing called a baby box that any expectant mother gets a box full of uh, blankets and baby clothes and different supplies that they would need for their soon-to-be-born child, and then the box itself doubles as a crib. So you just you put your baby in the box and it sleeps there. Huh. Some states in the U.S. are adopting that system, minus all the things inside of the box. So just giving parents a box. To cut down on SIDS, uh, because mm. like a lot of poor families might not have the money to buy a crib, so they start co-sleeping, and there, it's you have a higher risk of SIDS from right. co-sleeping. Yeah. Okay, so that covers healthcare. Was that on the list? Basically, I wouldn't mind living in Finland for a while. They have reindeers. They do. I'm checking off mammals. Yeah. Uh, Nokia is basically dead. Actually, they're remaking (laughs) one of their most popular phones from the past. Yeah, I might buy one. We're done with that. Oh, you're going to... I don't think Slack runs on those. (laughs) Finland's economy is... I need per per capita, because I'm just pulling up raw numbers, and that doesn't even make sense. Okay, we can check that off. Per capita is what you... I don't think they have much of an impact on global politics. Says the U.S. person. Uh, I don't think they have any birds. I don't think they have any reptiles. Finland's economy... I don't think they have any metal and gothic subculture. Um, I don't think they have any cuisine. I don't think they have a social safety net. I don't think they have an education system. Reading systems, this is interesting. If this makes Finnish it rating the... systems. How do Finns rate things? <laughs> they are, they rate it on a sauna system. <laughs> what level of the sauna it is? Trevor's comments just like PO'd a five five point five million people. We had better hope we have no Finnish listeners. <laughs> we don't. They're all in China and the Czech Republic. <laughs> all the all the Finns listening are in and China. And I mean Republic. the two who aren't in the U.S. <laughs> oh trevor I, I, trevor i get the distinct sense that you don't want to talk about finland anymore <laughs> tell me if i'm misreading this <laughs> one little bit of cap uh, one little bit of um interesting thing per capita gdp finland is right on par with the uk and france so that's a pretty good measure of the level of economic prosperity enjoyed by Finns. I'm done. Norway way out does it though. Norway's like six overall. Holy jeez, Qatar. Okay, sorry, we need to stop looking at this. 